Thank you for listening to this episode of the Our View podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Dave Barr. Join our conversation as we discuss his insightful living company, his book, Prave, The Adventures of the Blind and the Brittle, and how the recent virtualization of events has leveled the playing field and has been a positive thing for those who live with disabilities. I would like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Our View podcast. Um, today, I am very happy to welcome my guest, Dave Barr, to the podcast. Uh, we are excited for uh, this great conversation and um, excited to share it with you all today. So Dave, welcome to the podcast. And can you just give our listeners uh, a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, and uh, tell us a fun fact or two about yourself. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Uh, good evening, good morning, good night, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my name is Dave Barr. I suppose I should be serious. I'm not, uh, <laughs> you poor, poor souls. I am uh, an entrepreneur. I am a coach, a comedian, apparently, uh, and a public speaker and a published author. I self-published a book, which we'll get into a couple of years back. Um, I have been blind since birth. So for those of you watching the video, I hope I'm decently centered in the frame uh, and I don't look too sloppy, um, but I, boy, fun fact about me. Uh, I don't have much of a filter. Is that a good fact? Yes, it um, is. <laughs> But in a good way, like there's the difference between having like the tactless filter of like just being an ass and then the filter of like, I generally tell things as I see them, if you will, har har, yes, there's a blind joke in there. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot that phases me. There's not that, that I get offended by. And if I'm offended, chances are the person that's offending me will be the first to know. Um, I was, like I said, born totally blind. I have a fraternal twin who is completely unlike me. He is sighted. Um, and, uh, let's see, I grew up in near Denver, Colorado. I presently live between Denver and Boulder in a town of about 20,000 called Louisville and, um, went to mainstream public schools. Uh, that is to say, I did not go to the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind, which is down in Colorado Springs. It's about now about two hours south of me. It's a nice place, but uh, my parents and aid and, and people like that decided, no, I think Dave just needs to go to mainstream public schools. So I went K through 12. Then I went to the University of Denver for two years and then transferred to CU Boulder in 2007. And in 2011, during my uh, graduate program, I got a master's in musicology. I met the woman who would become my wife named Priscilla. And she was in a wheelchair and had brittle bones and was 34 inches tall. And that was the only thing small about her was her stature. Everything else was big and loud and aggressive. And uh, we made a, a great pair. 
Um, she was my eyes and I was her arms and legs. And uh, after an accident she had and a stroke, I was kind of her memory and, and things of that nature, which again, we'll get into. Um, and we were married in 2014 for just under three years. And then unfortunately she uh, passed away of a brain aneurysm in May of 2017. It was sudden, surprise, unexpected, yet her health was, was failing fairly rapidly than I think, more so than I think we all knew. It was quick. It was the way that I think we all want to go. It was quick mm. uh, and hopefully painless. Um, since then, I have been running my own coaching business. I have a program called Stop, Look, and Listen, which is a three-month coaching program that I'm working on. Um, and I wrote a book. The book is called Prave, which is Priscilla, P-R-A-V-E, Prave, uh, Priscilla and Dave, and Proud and Brave. Uh, the full title is Prave, The Adventures of the Blind and the Brittle. Obviously, I'm the blind one. Uh, and it's about our life stories. It's a, it's a love story, but it's also about disability advocacy and how, you know, we, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I think I've said this previously in other interviews, maybe, or even in a, a, the video that is on my, my website of insightful living. Uh, we did the best with what we had. Uh, you know, we, we tried to overcome each other's disabilities, if you will, and, and make up for each other's shortcomings, although I don't really like that word. Um, but, you know, we did what we could and we made mistakes. Other people made mistakes. We did great things. They did great things. So I tried to represent in, in 200 pages or so um, a, a chronological love and life story, but also with the message of, of disability advocacy. Um, so that's who I am in a rather large nutshell. <laughs> um, so you, you touched on uh, a few things that we will definitely get into uh, later into the conversation. I would like to start with your, uh, you mentioned the Stop, Look, and Listen uh, program, which is part of your uh, Insightful Living yeah. uh, company. So uh, could you talk about Insightful Living, what it is, how you created it, and uh, go into a bit more detail about the stop, look, and listen uh, portion yeah. of that. Yeah, so insightful living, it's in hyphen and then the word sightful living. And I, I liked the idea behind insight without the hyphen and then insight. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just kind of, I like, I don't recall the specific reasons aside from, well, the obvious fact was that the domain insightful living without the hyphen wasn't available. Um, <laughs> but I also, I don't know, it's, it's funny how things like that, well, okay, I guess I'll just put a hyphen in there. Um, but I, I just liked the idea of like having insight and being insightful and then like insight, you know, it's just kind of the little pun um, right. because I, I, I thrive on puns, which I, are either the lowest or the highest form of humor, depending on, you know, your, your view of things. <laughs> Um, and the stop, look, and listen, actually, I developed it when I was walking up to a street corner and realized that as a blind person, I cross a street differently than a sighted person does. So if you're a sighted person, you go up to the corner, you see if the light's changing, red or green and whatever, and then you cross and you're maybe paying attention, 
you notice the light changing, you go, you're talking with somebody, you're thinking about something, you just kind of go. And I, I thought about it, I was like, as a blind person, what do I do? Because as a kid, you're taught, right? When you go up to a street, stop, look and listen. At least that's what was taught in my area. And it occurred to me, I'm like, you know, even as a blind person, I still, and if you can see the video, I still look both ways, mm -hmm. which does absolutely nothing in theory. Um, but in practice, actually, it allows me to listen to the traffic. So when I cross the street, I listen to traffic patterns. Um, if the cars are going in front of me, obviously, I'm not going to cross because I prefer not to get hit. Uh, and so I listen <laughs> to the parallel traffic um, and, and try and, and judge a light that way. Have I crossed against a light? Yes, of course, we all have, um, sighted or blind. It's just something that maybe happens when we're not paying attention so much. So all of that said, I developed the coaching program of like, what do we need to do right now in life more that we're not doing so much? And I thought, well, what about stop, look, and listen? So the idea became stop. The, the first month would be stop. The second would be look. And the third would be listen. And that it's, it's twofold. So stop would, it would be... Um, or rather it's, it's sequential, not twofold. I'm getting my words mixed up here. But the idea of stop being to just take a moment, whether that's physically or mentally, to just breathe. There's, there's so many things being thrown at us, what with constant news and social media and all this. And then look is to just either look around mentally in your mind or physically with your eyes, if you can see, or even my version of looking, of touching, or, or hearing, and then listen, which is really the main kind of crux of the program, is to really listen to your internal and external voices. What are you saying? How are you saying it? I think it's not always what people say, it's how they say it. It's the tone of voice, and I feel, um, as a musician and a musicologist, my entire sort of, my brain functions in music. I, I think in music. Um, mm -hmm. I think of people's voices in terms of music, what pitch they land on when they talk, how they talk, you know, the, the cadence of their voice when they speak for long periods of time or even short periods of time, how that conveys far much more than I think people register. And why do people do that? I think it's probably because they're so focused on the visual. Um, you know, the stereotype of, of a lot of blind people is, oh, you, you feel someone's face when you, when you meet them. And the answer to that is no. Um, my, my comic answer to that is that I don't like reading zip braille. Um, <laughs> you know, it's awful. Uh, my, my serious answer to that is I know why sighted people think that. And that's because sighted people, for the most part, are very facially focused. So it's one of those ways where stop, look, and listen is kind of just developed as, as not only a coaching program, but just like a philosophy of how to, to go through the world. And uh, on another podcast I was on, I was talking about the idea of, of talking with somebody with a disability and how you can kind of do your own stop, look, and listen. Um, and I don't know, I just liked it. I just liked the, it, it had kind of a nice little flow to it. So that's, that's, that's how Stop, Look, and Listen came about. Yeah, it really is um, 
like you said, that that's how I also remember being told how to cross the street. You stop, right. you look, you listen. Um, and then for you to relate it back to a more general uh, uh, worldview of how to really uh, better interact with people, I think is, um, and, and the world around us, I think that's a, a very, really cool thing, how you were able to uh, relate those two and, and give it a, a double a double meaning like that. We, we've talked before we started recording about um, how we, we, you and I pretty much do a lot of similar work where we uh, do speaking engagements and we uh, help raise awareness about disabilities and advocacy and, and things like that. With the last year uh, having all of us being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, we've had to switch things up a lot. I have said before that's pretty much why I started this podcast because I was used to going out to speak to students and, and work with companies in person to do this advocacy work and awareness work. But of course, we all had to switch and pivot our plans in 2020. And uh, I still wanted to make sure that the message got out to an audience. So that's uh, pretty much a, a main reason why I started this podcast. So can you talk a little bit about how um, how you have had to pivot and change your, your way of uh, reaching people and your speaking engagements and workshops and things like that? And also how the virtualization of the new way that we're doing things, how that has helped uh, helped people like you and I with disabilities uh, actually become more of, um, I guess, more on a, an even playing field with everyone else where they have, uh, you know, everybody has to do virtual things now. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, to the first part of your question, uh, a lot of my speaking gigs that I had set up for a while got canceled uh, just sort of, nope, can't do it. And I was out a fair amount of money. I was going to travel to a bunch of places. And I was really starting to pick up speaking gigs and go in that direction. And then it all, of course, just, you know, everything kind of stopped. Um, so I haven't, I haven't done years much speaking. I've done a lot of interviews like we're doing now, but I haven't done the keynotes that I was hoping to do and stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that because I'm far more dynamic in person. You know, I'd love to, if someone said, hey, can you give a talk on, on accessibility? Sure. But I, we, all, we all want as live performers, and I consider myself a performer as much as anything, we all want that, that vibe of being there in front of the audience in person. Um, and, you know, all of that's changed. But like we were talking about and you mentioned, virtualization for us as people with disabilities has kind of evened things out because we don't have to go anywhere. There's a lot of logistics for us that people who don't have disabilities generally don't think about because frankly, they don't have to. And that's fine. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, as long as when we bring it up, they say, oh, hey, that makes sense. How can I help instead of, oh, well, that sucks. Um, but I think it's it's evened things out in terms of I can get on a call with people I don't know from across the world and say, hey, I'm Dave Barr. I talk about blah, 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 blah. And people go, wow, that's great. Let's talk. Let's connect. And there's a lot more sort of 
easier connection where you and I don't have to think about how am I going to get to this place? Is it accessible? Are they going to have enough space, in your case, for my chair? Are they going to, you know, all the things that we think about when we do presentations. And in my case, am I going to be able to use my computer properly? You know, stuff like that. Right. My, my streamer going to be able to be heard over the audio system, you know, things like that. Now I can just show up on my phone looking like a schwab and say, here I am, uh, you know, hope I look decent. Yeah. Uh, just roll out of bed, you know. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of given me more freedom to explore more diverse topics. I'm starting to work more in the sex positivity and sexuality and disability advocacy spaces as well um, over this past year, which I don't know if I would have done uh, this quickly had the pandemic not sort of forced us all to be virtual and forced me to go, hmm, what do I want to focus on? What am I passionate about more? Hey, you know what? We're all struggling through this. Let's talk about sex and disability. It's important, you know, um, stuff like that. And it's, it's been kind of liberating in that respect. So it's sort of liberating and constraining because I can't be at quite as dynamic as I would like to be as, a, as an in-person performer and a comic and things like that, or a humorist. I don't really like saying comic, but it's another story altogether. Um, but yeah, so that's the very roundabout, at least what sounds roundabout to me, answer to, to your question about virtualization. It's, it's helped and it's hindered just like everything that's been going on. Yeah, I know, um, as you mentioned, it's every time I, I would set up a uh, presentation or a workshop or something like that, I always would have to, especially in a school, if it's an older school, I have to, you know, make sure I tell them I, I use a wheelchair. So I have to make sure the door is wide enough for me to get in. Right. Uh, if, you know, if it's an old school and it's two floors, make sure my presentation's on the first, the main floor. Uh, if there's well, no you elevator. can't just climb the stairs. Right. <laughs> you know, so it, it does, it, it has really, uh, although I haven't done any school presentations because I did not want to uh, add to the stress of virtual learning um, at this time, I, you know, it, it really has um, made me uh, more flexible with being able to, like you said, you're, you're in Colorado, I'm in New Jersey. So we're, we're able to connect through Zoom and, and record this and it reaches a very wide audience, a, a more wide audience than if I was just speaking in at one building uh, for one day. Yeah, and I've done uh, sex and disability stuff with people in different countries. I did a presentation with a guy from Berlin who was originally from Pakistan, you know, mm -hmm. and we talked about stop, look and listen. And I've talked to people in Australia and it's just, it's been, it's definitely been more obviously confining physically, but more sort of liberating in a, in a, in, in several contexts in terms of exploring who I am as a person and who other people are, because we're all sort of in this virtual space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, I definitely ag agree with you for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's been restricting, but yet liberating all at the same time, which yeah. is a very, uh, very interesting to say that, but it's, it's an accurate, very accurate way of describing it for sure. Um, so for the next uh, 
question or topic, I would like um, to talk more about your book, Prave, The Adventures of the Blind and the Brittle. Love the title. I love the explanation you gave of uh, Prave before. And that's, um, I did have a chance to actually listen to it on audiobook. Yeah, it just came out in audio. Yeah, so I did listen to that over uh, the last few days. And I, I think the one thing or one of the many things that struck me was, uh, as you said, it is about advocacy and uh, the way that, that you and your wife were treated during different times of where people didn't feel like they could uh, talk directly to you and to ask mm -hmm. you questions or that you couldn't answer the questions or she couldn't answer the questions. I think they that's one of the things that struck me the most because those types of things happen far too often and they are definitely not cool and not right. And you should, as you did, you know, call them out in, you know, in the book. And it's just like, Hey, pay attention to this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you really shouldn't, you know, you really shouldn't do these things. So I, I really appreciated that. And uh, so could you just tell a, a little bit more about the, um, about the book and uh, also let us know where we can find the book uh, to purchase it. Yeah, um, it, it's a book that I tried to balance and the, there were more stories that I wanted to put in that didn't quite fit. When I started writing it, it was a catharsis. It was a way, I started writing in, in August of 17 and Priscilla died in May. And she and I had talked about writing a book together. We had talked about doing public speaking. We had talked about all these things. Um, so it wasn't a new concept in terms of like, I know I'm going to write a book. It was a new concept in terms of, I need to grieve and I'm a writer. And how can I work with it, but also educate? And as I started writing, there were a lot of stories that just were fun stories, things that happened to us that didn't make the cut. Because when I started working with my writing coach, she and I said, you know, we need to get kind of a, there needs to be a, a sort of a baseline, like a, a thesis and a kind of a main idea throughout the book that's not just like a bunch of short stories. Um, and so we sort of were like, okay, how can we relate each chapter back to disability advocacy and how people with disabilities should be treated? So I tried to balance stories of like, negative things that happened to us with positive things, positive things that we did and negative things that we did. Because I wanted to show that, you know, we're human. We make mistakes. There were things we could have done better. There were things I could have done better, things Priscilla could have done better. There were things that worked out great. The chapter on our wedding worked out great. It won mm -hmm. an editing award actually. Um, right. But it, it, it was, it was, that was, I think, the toughest part was like making sure that there was a thread throughout the whole book from beginning to end about disability advocacy and pointing out and being real to that and not sugarcoating it. I've had some people that were like, you know, you were pretty negative. I'm like, I, I didn't mean to be negative. I wanted to be realistic about what happened to us and, you know, what I what sort of things we went through. So I, I hope you liked it. Yes, um, I did. And that was that was one of the things that I took away from it for sure. It wasn't 
I didn't find it to be a negative thing. I took it as being very real, very realistic and feelings a lot of times um, where I, I didn't experience the exact uh, scenarios that you were in, but I could relate to right. times where I have experienced certain, right. uh, certain things. And it was just like, it's frustrating as hell. And, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, you, you want to um, be honest about that. I, I interviewed someone um, uh, yesterday, actually, and he, um, his, he, he wrote an article called Don't Be Positive, Be Honest. And it right. was in relation to uh, chronic pain, but it can relate to a lot of things, a lot of situations that we are put in as people with disabilities where you know, our, our natural reaction might be, oh, that's okay. Oh, don't worry about it. But, right. you know, inside we're, we're like, oh no, this sucks and you're horrible right. for and, doing and that shit. But yeah. <laughs> so um, to be honest about things and to be realistic of what you were truly feeling and experiencing during those times, I thought it was, I, I thought it was great. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and um, you can get the book by the way, it's on Amazon. If you type in Crave, P-R-A-V-E, it'll be the first thing that comes up in, uh, at least on the, in the US on Amazon. Um, and it's also on Audible. Um, and recording it was definitely, that was a trip. Recording the book was, was a performance. It, it ended up me rehearsing a lot of the chapters before going and, and setting up, literally uh, recording in my closet because it was the easiest place to set up a microphone. And they, they compressed the living hell out of, out of the books when you put them on Audible. Um, someone called it putting your book through the meat grinder because they just really squish down the audio. So the quality is not the best, but it works. And I, I, hope, I hope it sounded okay. Yeah, um, definitely. The other part of it was like, people don't listen to audiobooks on hi-fi systems nowadays you know it's like I'm gonna play this in my car or on my earbuds or whatever um but it really recording it made me just realize a some of the writing could have been better um and b how much of it was like inflection and it was a lot like doing choral performance where you really want to make sure you get your tone right you want to make sure you get your, your phrasing, and I noticed just how long my written sentences were. I called them Bach sentences, <laughs> because if you've ever sung or listened to J.S. Bach, the guy never gives you time to breathe when you do his stuff. I've done some Bach choral works in, in college, and I'm like, they'd be like, okay, put the breath marks here and here, and it'd be like, you know, 13 bar phrases, and you have to like, fill up your lungs to four times their capacity because it's just like how do I get all this out and it was the same thing when I was doing it I had to like realize oh that's a really long sentence when do I need to breathe and I had a great engineer and, and people that that knew the process um, they had said that I was one of the few people that they'd worked with that really knew about phrasing and audio and stuff like that which was cool because um, I do audio editing just for fun and you know, knowing when to breathe and how to speak was, and it was a learning experience for me when I started. Um, when I started the recording, it was like, okay, am I doing this right? And then as I got more confident, and it, you know, it took a while to get the flow 
and like I said, of the, the rehearsal of the chapters. Um, so the, the audio version was definitely um, a, a tour de force in terms of how I wanted to portray me and situations and how I wanted to portray Priscilla um, because nobody was Priscilla, nobody had her voice. Her voice was very unique. Um, she always said it sounded like Mickey Mouse on helium. <laughs> so I had to kind of raise my voice up a little. I'm exaggerating it, but her voice was kind of like this mm -hmm. um, because she was small. People with osteogenesis imperfect are, are at least her type are, are three feet tall on average. Um, and everything is kind of compressed. And so sometimes their voice is kind of, kind of like a, a little person. Their voices are compressed as well, their voice boxes. And uh, it was, it was, there were times where I'd be recording and I have to say, wait, let me start that over uh, and, and do a, a line over of hers to make sure I got her inflection right. And I think it turned out well. Um, so anyway, it's on Audible. And if you read it or you listen to it, please leave an honest review. I don't read them, but it helps with sales rankings and, and things of that nature. But yeah, I, I truly did. I, I listened to audiobooks. Um... I got really into them within the last year just because I could be doing other things while it's playing. And um, yeah. it's a, a good way for me to wind down my evening. So I, I listen to them uh, while I'm relaxing and, and just winding down from the day. So I, and I truly appreciate it. Your different inflections during the, uh, you know, during the reading, because it really brought uh to me, it brought life to it. It really does. And it wasn't just a one tone kind of thing. It really uh, showed your frustration at times and it showed your compassion at other times. And just, uh, you know, so I, I thought that was, it was a good touch to actually have you reading the book. I always yeah. like uh, when the authors are the one who uh, read the audio book. I read books at, at like two, two and a half times speed. And there's, there's some authors that are great at reading their own work, and there are some that should pay a professional narrator to do it because they read like this and their voice. I mean, I'd rather read it with my screen reader, right? My right. computer talks to me at 300 words a minute. And there are some that I'm like, oh, please stop reading. Just stop, stop, please. <laughs> um, so I tried, but I love, I've always been a radio person in terms of like old time radio and performing and and I've always loved reading things out loud. One time in 2013, I think, 12 or 13, I don't remember. We were driving back to North Dakota where Priscilla was from over at the Christmas holidays. And I brought along a braille copy of A Christmas Carol. And I read the whole thing out loud to Priscilla and her family while we were driving. And so, uh, you know, wow. I, I did it in a, in a British, narration style, you know, the sort of BBC type, you know, uh, this is a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you know, that sort of thing. Because you can't read it like this as a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you know, welcome to America. Middle America reads a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you know, like you just can't do it. I just, so I did, I did all the voices. I did Scrooge and, you know, that sort of voice like this, a gruff sort of thing. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, it, it was, oh, so 
It was so much funny. Bob, I think Bob Cratchit was, was this voice here. Scrooge, could I please have one day off, sir? You know, kind of a... Uh, <laughs> it's a great it was, book, too. It's a great book. It, so. Yeah, <laughs> and it was fun. I, I, I copied some of it from Jim Dale's um, reading of it, um, mm -hmm. who did the Harry Potter books, all seven of them, and holds the world's record for, like, 260 different character voices in a book. And, you know, I thought mine was hard with, like, six. Wow. Um, but yeah, he holds the, the record, but it was, it was, it was fun to just read that. And, uh, but yeah, when I, when I did the, the recording, I wanted to do the voices that were true to the characters and the, the people. Um, and I, I tried to make them more one than like just words on a page. And, um, you know, some of the, dialogue I changed slightly to fit the audio but only slightly that was the, the thing I knew eventually I was going to do the book in audio I just didn't know when when the book came out I got so many people going where's the audio as if it just like were to show up because <laughs> we're so used to that like yeah. you know when a book comes out from Random House there's an audio recording usually right next to it well this wasn't exactly just, you know, your latest fiction novel. It, I needed to process it. So it took a year, over a year, before I said, okay, I'm ready to record it. Because it was my life. These were things that happened, memories and, and catharsis. And there were times in the, you know, you'll notice in the recording, there were times my voice cracked from emotion. And I left that in on purpose mm -hmm. to say, this is what it was like. You know, the ending especially was was tough. Um, but again, it took practice. And so, it, but it was fun. It was so much fun to do it because I love performing as you can probably tell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so to, um, to conclude this uh, conversation, I don't like calling these interviews because I, uh, I, I like, I feel that they are conversations. Uh, so to conclude this conversation, I would like to end with one, one last question, and that is, um, what do you want the world to know about those who live with disabilities, but also if, um, if you could include something that is often, uh, uh, think of, of something that people uh, misunderstand about uh your disability or just being blind in general or uh, anything that you can add to that? What I want people to know about people with disabilities is fairly simple. We are human. There's a, there is a tendency to look at the disability and not the person. Uh, a tendency to look at the wheelchair and not Arthur, right? A tendency right. to look at Dave cane or when I had a dog, especially with, with the guide dog and not Dave. Um, and it's something we all do. And the reason is because people with disabilities are a minority. It's as simple as that. We look at skin color because it's different. It's a minority. We look at disabilities because they are a minority. And it's understandable. But what we're dealing with in a very, very basic sense is a minor minority versus majority situation, right? 
my minority is being someone with a disability. My majority is that I'm a white male. You know, it's mm -hmm. different if you're black and blind and a woman. I can't right. speak to that. Someone asked me last week, can you talk about the pandemic and the effect on the blind community? I said, I can speak for myself, but I'm not gonna speak for all community. Um, and then your other question about people who are blind, it's another fairly basic one. And that is that uh, I might not be able to see you or make eye contact, eye contact with you, but I can talk and I can hear you. And a lot of the things I mentioned in my book were times where people would look at Priscilla because even though she was obviously in a chair and had a disability, she could make eye contact with the person. And they would be like, well, what would he like to eat? And she'd be like, Dave, what would you like to eat? Or sometimes <laughs> I would just respond. Most of the time I'd just say, well, I'd like, you know, fish and chips or whatever. Right. Um, but there were times, and I didn't put this in the book, I don't think, where I'd respond in the third person. Well, he's not really sure yet. His wife has to read him the menu first. <laughs> was it kind of a dick thing to do? Yes. But it was but also great. in, but it was also their tone, right? Right. It's a tone of voice thing. If someone says it and they don't really realize what they're saying, I can forgive that. But there are times when people know exactly what they're saying because they're uncomfortable with it. Right. So I think, you know, it's a lot of like, as, as a blind person, even though I can't make eye contact with you, it would be nice if you could address me if I'm with somebody. Does it happen all the time? No. But it happens enough that it's, it, is, it is a trend that does not, it, it's not abating. And the reason is because people are uncomfortable. And again, it's a base fear of what we don't know. Um, and it's just, I'm here, hello. Um, <laughs> It sounds really basic, but I think it's something that people experience and I just, I brush it off in person as much as I can, depending on my mood or how much alcohol I've had, uh, <laughs> because, you know, it lowers inhibitions, uh, but, but it's something that needs to sort of be addressed as, as a blind person, I think. So that's, those are the two things I would say. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I, I have as I mentioned, I have experienced uh, those types of situations too, where I'm right. with someone, uh, if, if I'm in my wheelchair or using my crutches and the other person doesn't have uh, a visible disability, it's they talk to them as if I can't yeah. answer the question. And, and restaurants is one restaurants of the, are the big top, ones. it's one of the top places restaurants, where Restaurants, hospitals, and airports are the top yes. three where stuff like that happens yes for sure i agree <laughs> and it's and uh, if you're stuck at a restaurant in an airport you're screwed right <laughs> now you're done for and don't and don't you know and don't be by yourself because i've i've been in situations like that and i'm just like am i invisible like do they yep. think that i don't want to eat or want anything to drink yeah i didn't just roll into this restaurant for nothing <laughs> right now you just i get that too or, or i'll walk in and i'll sit at a table and someone will say do you know where you are oh wow. yes yes i do i'm i'm on planet earth where are you right <laughs> That's fantastic. I have to start using that one. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's I don't know if I've ever used it, but it's the one thing. That's one of those ones that you think about after it happens because you're caught so off guard. Yeah. 
when it happens that usually my response is, well, yes, I'm sitting in a restaurant, you know, or yes, thank you. But afterwards you're like, that's what I should have said. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dave, I, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to definitely uh, working with you in the future on some things and uh, definitely getting out there to Colorado. I'm, I'm excited about meeting all these people in all these different places. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so once, once I'm allowed back can, outside. <laughs> yeah. Once we can see the light of day. Right. Yeah. Once I can. freaking windows. Our right. little porthole over here. Yeah. I know. We definitely get together. Thanks for having me on. I really oh, you're appreciate welcome. it. And I, I hope that I've helped people to, to learn something new. Yes, definitely. I, uh, I truly appreciate it. And uh, I will definitely be in touch with you soon. Sounds good. All right. You have a good day. You as well. Uh, thank you. <laughs>